2,000 years ago, one of the early church heavyweights, a guy named Paul, great name, wrote a letter to one of the churches that he'd established in a place called Colossae. And he wrote a letter which included this uh, nugget, a missing piece, if you'd like. He wrote, he wrote the letter to a group of people who had been waiting on a promise that God had given to them centuries before, thousands of years before, in fact, a promise that God would one day send a deliverer, a savior, someone who would come and, and turn everything around because they were a people who lived in oppression. They were, they were, they were ruled at the time by the Romans. They, they, they had, uh, uh, you know, restrictions placed on them. They couldn't be themselves and, and, and the, an oppression and uh, bondage and limitations had been their lot for thousands of years prior. And they were waiting for God to send a savior, someone that was going to turn their situation around. And uh, God sent Jesus, but not everyone figured out that he was the savior they'd been looking for because they were expecting a savior that was going to come and change all their circumstances around. But God sent a Savior who was actually going to start by changing their inside circumstances around. Start at the heart, if you like. And, 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 and so Jesus had come and gone. He, he'd, he'd been born. He'd, he lived 33 and a half years. He'd been nailed to a cross. He died. He was buried in a tomb. He rose again. The tomb was empty. He, he spent some time with, with his followers again. But then he ascended back into heaven to resume his place at the right hands of God. Well, most of the people missed that whole thing. They didn't realize that he was the Messiah. And so Paul, to, to, to confirm to them what was really going on, and he wrote this to the church in Colossae, including this, I've become its servant, meaning a servant to getting this message out there by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery... That's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but woohoo, is now disclosed to the Lord's people. That's us. To them, God has chosen to make known. He's not playing hide and seek. He chose to make known among the Gentiles, that's us, the non-Jewish people, the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? They're leaning in. Because he's written this letter, Paul's written this letter, somebody's standing up like I am now, reading it out to them, and they're like, whoa, we've been waiting for ages and generations. And what's the, the mystery? And, and, you're, and, and Paul's about to tell us, this is so cool, this is exciting. Probably the guy at the front wouldn't have been able to even be heard over the, the excitement and the rumblings of the people. Just like you now. Hey, yeah, it's incredible. Good thing, good thing I've got a microphone and we've got beautiful new speakers or else you'd never be able to hear me. Well, what's the mystery? Christ in you. The hope of glory. See, this was written 2,000 years ago when, when, the, when the expression hashtag first world problems hadn't yet appeared to people. But now we live in our first world problems and all of the circumstances that, 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 that oppress us, you know, lines on the freeway and, uh, and uh, four people in the, in the checkout queue. And, um, you know, what's fascinating is we don't have many of the same 
external problems that the Colossian church did. We have a different set of problems. But, but 2,000 years later, the condition of the human heart remains exactly the same. And like the Colossians, they were looking for external answers to hope. And we do the same thing. Paul's writing to them and he's reminding us today, our hope isn't in external things. Our hope is in Jesus. The fact that Jesus didn't just pass through, but now lives in us. And so even despite, no matter what our circumstances are like externally, that's not where our hope lies. The hope of glory is that Christ is in us and he ain't leaving. How good's that? Listen, open your Bibles, Bible apps. I want to walk through a story, actually a something that John recorded, an episode in Jesus' life. I want to walk through that this morning. And it's actually very intentional that I'm going to walk through this story in light of the fact that Easter is next weekend. And uh, you'll understand why as we go through. So John chapter 4, he records this account of a particular moment in Jesus' life. Jesus realized that the Pharisees, who who were the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed. Bracket, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing, close bracket. It's like, you know. They'd posted the score (laughs) that Jesus was ahead. (laughs) I love it, morons. Turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. Do you see something wrong already with this picture? I mean, here we are, people who are committed as Elevate Church to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We don't care who's doing the baptizing as long as people are getting baptized, right? But that's the problem. See, religious people count the wrong things. Religious people focus on the wrong things. They value input over output. They focus on doing things the right way over getting things done. In the workplace, those people are called bureaucrats. And anybody that's ever worked with me or for me knows that I cannot stand bureaucrats. Bureaucrats and me, we don't get along so well. In the church space, they're called religious people. Religious people focus on the wrong things. Some time ago, a month or so ago, a particular person I'd never met before, visited here at Elevate, and from another church, visited here. And, you know, visitors from other churches, they're always welcome. They're not our target, but they're always welcome. We'll, we'll, we won't, you know, lock them out or, you know, serve them Blend 43 while we'll, we drink the nice stuff. Um, and, uh, and it's nice, you know, quite often visitors from other churches will just come to, to say hi to me. You know, I leave the church here and they just, out of courtesy, come on, say hi, which is cool. It's great. Love that. It's nice. Uh, and on this particular morning, a uh, person I'd never met before um, came and after I finished preaching and uh, introduced themselves. Hi, I'm such and such. I'm from this other church is visiting uh, uh, today. Uh, I have to say, rather surprised that you were wearing a T-shirt rather than a college shirt. See, some of you can't believe people say stuff like that to me. It happens. So let me tell you what I said to them. I didn't say anything to them. I just walked away because not every comment deserves a response. I had better people to talk to, people that 
don't care if you wear a collared shirt or a t-shirt. They were just happy I was flipping wearing a shirt. <laughs> Brett, I've said it before. Don't start giving me Tourette's. The, um, you know, my parents' generation growing up had an expression, Sunday best. You know, when you go to church, wear your Sunday best. Jesus isn't as concerned about whether you've got a tuxedo or a three-piece suit on on a Sunday morning. He's concerned about whether you're bringing your best expectancy, whether you're bringing your best worship, whether you're bringing your best giving, whether you're bringing other people that don't know him yet. That's the stuff that matters. Problem with religious people is over time, religious people create religious cultures. It becomes the normal thing to do. And there's two incredibly perilous outcomes of breeding a religious culture. The first is it drives people who need Jesus away. Because people ain't looking for religion, they're looking for Jesus, looking for relationship. But if you start to tell them that you can't have the relationship if you wear a t-shirt, they ain't going to come. I heard a story, I think it's allegorical, but I heard a story recently of a, a younger lady who, you know, she was looking for something. She thought it might have been Jesus. She didn't know, but she figured that, that if it was, probably the best place to meet him is in a church. So she, she got, you know, put on the clothes she normally wears and heads into this church. She sat, you know, wherever, and the preacher's finished preaching and, and, and he went up and she's a first time guest. So he went and met her. Hi, uh, sweetheart. Good, good to have you here. Um, however, uh, you know, she had a sort of uh, uh, high altitude skirt and a, and a low altitude top. And, uh, and he said to her, uh, you, you know, you, you are welcome back next week if you like, but, but before you come back, um, I, I strongly encourage you to pray to God and ask him what you should wear before you come back. So, the next week, despite that, the next week she, she came back. And she came back wearing her normal clothes, much like she had the week before. And so the preacher finished preaching and went and met her. Horrified he was, said to her, Honey, I thought we covered this. I, I, did you not hear me say last week that before you come back, I want you to pray to God about what you are to wear? And... Uh, why didn't you do that? She said, I did, actually. He's like, you did? Yeah, I did. I, I, I did what you asked. I prayed to God, asked him what I should wear when I come back. And the preacher said, well, what did God say? She said, well, God said, he doesn't know what you're supposed to wear because he's never been here himself. <laughs> Religious culture drives away the very people that Jesus died for. Because people aren't looking for religion. This is how I say it. Don't expect people who aren't yet following Jesus to act like people who are following Jesus before they start following Jesus. Get it around the right way. Meet him and trust that he will do the transforming. Over time, just like he's doing with us, apart from the few of you who are already perfect. The other thing that religious culture does is it drives sin underground. You can, you can create a religious culture where everyone looks the part, everyone speaks the part, but, but, and it seems like perfection. 
has been, you know, become a reality in that setting. But it, it, but it never is. Because each one of us, no matter how good we look on the outside, are all still wrestling with, 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 with our sinful nature that we've been forgiven for, but we still wrestle with it because we wrestle with flesh and blood during the day. It, it, it creates a culture of shame that, that, that if you're going to be judged because you haven't got all of your crap together, then if you do come back, you're not going to be vulnerable and actually allow the very people into your life who can actually help. So, so I'm saying this right at the outset, teeing off where John teed off with this story to say, I'm so glad. And I'm also incredibly committed to make sure we don't become a religious culture, that we make sure we measure output, life change, not input, collared shirts. All right, carry on with the story. So what did Jesus do? Did he stay and argue with the Pharisees? No, because not every comment deserves a response. So Jesus, like Mark Pomery, left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee, went back to his hometown area. Jesus doesn't get caught up in religious arm wrestling because the mission is too important to get distracted and to waste time and resources and energy and words on the stuff that doesn't matter and the people that aren't going to change their mind anyway. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be walking through this story this morning. This isn't a you know, nicely packaged three-point message this morning. I'm just going to walk through the story, and I'm going to kind of unpack things as we go, okay? So, so if you're a voracious note-taker, you might leave a little bit disappointed because I'm not, you know, 75 bullet points. But what I do hope this, among other things, is you understand God's Word is alive today just like it was when it was happening in real life, and we can get stuff out of it, extract stuff out of it in Perth in 2015. It's not a history book that we go, oh, lovely. It's a life-changing revelation. To get there, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Little history lesson, that's actually not true. He didn't have to pass through Samaria. To pass through Samaria was the shortest route, but it wasn't the only route. And in fact, because of an age-old conflict between the Jews and the Sumerians, Jewish people wouldn't ever go through Samaria. If they had to get back to Galilee, they'd take the long way around very deliberately. So John says to get there, he had to pass through Samaria, and actually he didn't. Like logistically speaking, he didn't. Maybe there's a reason why he was compelled to pass through Samaria. Well, you're about to find out that that's exactly what happened. He came into Sychar. A Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. Question. Do you ever get tired? Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever feel like you're on, you know, the endless treadmill of life and it just kind of doesn't stop? And, 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 and actually, sometimes it, someone's jacking up the speed. And you're barely keeping up at the moment. My takeaway is, is, is understand the difference between a season and a lifestyle. Some of us have entered into a season, but forgotten to finish at the end of that season. And it's become a lifestyle. And I'm, I'm not judging anybody. And I understand that some seasons can go on for a long time. If you're dealing with uh, illness, either in yourself or, or in your family, a serious illness, that, that season can be, you know, months and years. I understand that. Um, 
if you've, if you've dug yourself into financial debt, deep hole of financial debt, the season of getting out of that and exercising the discipline and the commitment to get out of that, that, that may take some time. It may, may require working a bit of overtime or getting a second job, but, 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 but it's, it's got to be a season. See, Jesus modeled that. Worn out by the trip, he didn't keep walking. He sat down at the well. One of our first world problems is FOMO. We've got this increasingly uh, disturbing problem of FOMO, fear of missing out. That some of us live with this FOMO that it causes us to just keep going and going and pushing and pushing and signing up for more stuff and signing up for more stuff and, and taking our kids to 25 different sporting events a, a day and, 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 and because of fear of missing out. And, and you know what? One of the things we miss out on is we miss out on the refill. We miss out on the refueling. We miss out on the joy that comes with pushing pause. Something else we miss out on, Jesus is about to, to, to model that. Here, our model at Elevate Church, we don't actually run much stuff. And it's not because we're lazy. It's not because we're out playing golf. It's, it's, you know why? It's because we want you to not come to church for an hour a week, but to be the church 24-7, 365. And we're not going to do that effectively if we're in here seven nights a week and all day Saturday and all day Sunday. We actually want you to go out. And one of the most important eternal investments you can make is prioritize unchurched and dechurched people and find a well. You're about to find that. Find a well and sit with them. And talk with them and invest into them and see what God does with that. That's what Jesus was doing. He stopped and he sat at the well. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village uh, for some subway uh, footlongs. Uh, the Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. In fact, John misses out a little bit of extra uh, horsepower in this observation. Not only would Jews not be caught dead talking to Samaritan women, but Jesus was a rabbi. A rabbi wouldn't, wouldn't be talking to a woman, wouldn't, would, was, was not allowed to look a Samaritan woman in the eye. And yet here we have Jesus, the Jew, Jesus, the rabbi. And as we now know, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, are not just engaging with her, but actually asking something from her. It was unheard of. It was unheard of for culturally, but it was also unheard of to her personally. John also highlighted that it was noon. And this is an important little bit as well, is noon was the worst time of day to be doing physical labor in that part of the world. Still is, because it's blazing hot. It, it, when you went to, to fetch water, you would do it early in the morning when it's cool. You'd, you'd do it early in the morning when other people were doing it because it became a communal thing. It was part of your, your social fabric. It was before Facebook. You actually had to talk to people. And, uh, and, and, and yet this woman was going to the well at noon. It didn't make any sense. One of the reasons is, is, is because she was a social outcast from her village. She was going at noon for this express purpose to avoid 
other people because she was tired of being judged by them. And yet Jesus is there asking her for a drink. Jesus answered, sweetheart, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, clue, (laughs) you'd be asking me for a drink and I'd give you fresh living water. So there's this woman, the, the, the village outcast with her bucket, finding a man there, a Jewish man who wouldn't actually normally even be in the area, let alone at the well, let alone talking to her, let alone asking her for something. Pretty safe to say she was taken back by the whole thing. He's just tipped her off that, that he's God. I mean, it's okay. Some of us missed that as well. So she said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with. It's a fair enough observation. He didn't. And his well's deep. So here's one for you. How are you going to get this living water? Air quotes. <laughs> are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug the well and drank from it? He and his sons and, and the livestock and, and, and passed it down to us. Right at that moment, this episode for this Samaritan woman was still about the bucket. She was still focused on the bucket because the bucket was the only way she was going to get water from that well back to her house. Everyone knows that. She knew that. So she's focused on the bucket. This bucket is the source. This bucket is, is vital. This, bu- this bucket is what's going to get me the water. We do that. We get focused on the bucket. Right? We get the bucket. And we start to feel a little bit dissatisfied with the bucket. And so we change the bucket. We change the bucket because, you know, hoping changing the bucket's going to get us more satisfaction because with this bucket, I can't get no satisfaction. So, you know, we change jobs because we think a, a, ch- a change of job is going to make us more satisfied. We change that bucket. We, we change houses. We think a different postcode is going to change our level of satisfaction. We change churches, treating church like a commodity, not a community. And we change that thinking it's going to bring us the satisfaction. We change buckets all the time. We're focused on the bucket. We think that the bucket is going to bring us the satisfaction. Or we try to get a bigger bucket. Bigger bucket means more water, right? Bigger bucket. Don't get me wrong. I like big buckets and I cannot lie. But even, what did you think I said? Even, you know, so we, we, we buy the bigger house and, and, and we go on the bigger holidays and and, and we get the bigger car and, you know, thinking that a bigger bucket is, is, is going to get us the satisfaction. Now, God's not always opposed to us changing jobs, changing houses. He's not always against us upsizing our house. If, you know, Pete Goodall's uh, kids are, you know, blowing out the door, the, the walls of their house, they'll be outgrowing that. No, nothing wrong with that, wanting a bigger house. But God's not against us 
changing buckets all the time or getting a bigger bucket, but he's trying to remind us the satisfaction isn't found in the bucket. The hope isn't found in the bucket. The life, the source isn't found in the bucket. This living water that Jesus is promising isn't found in a bucket. Not only isn't it found in a bucket, it's not even found in that flipping well. It's found in him and him alone. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water from the well in your bucket, lady, will get thirsty again and again. But anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. I love the poetry. It's evocative. Isn't it? It's evocative. Like we sing a song that has the words, a sloppy wet kiss. God leant down to earth and went, boom, big sloppy wet kiss. I love that. It's evocative. Oh, we don't like that in our church. Please. This water I'll give you is an artesian spring within, gushing, not trickling, fountains of endless life. The woman said, this is starting to sound pretty compelling. To her, because she said, well, sir, I mean, never have to come down here with my stupid bucket again. I'm in. Never have to walk past the judgment of all the people that are judging me in my village. Yeah, I'll take some of that. Give me the water so I won't ever get thirsty. Won't ever have to come back to this well again. Woohoo! Exclamation mark. Jesus said, hmm, go call your husband and then come back. (coughs) Um, hmm. this is really getting awkward i have no husband she said now before i continue we call this unanswered prayer don't we she asked for water jesus said go get your husband she didn't ask for relational advice, she wanted water. Jesus didn't give her water. He said, go get your husband. We call that un- unanswered prayer, don't we? Oh, I hate it when God doesn't answer my prayer. Well, no, he always answers our prayer. He does it three ways. And I've said this to some of you before. He says, yes, no, or not yet. It's always answered, but it's not always yes. And sometimes he withholds the things we ask for because he's got something more important that he wants us to first focus on. Before we get to the water. Oh, I got no husband. That's nicely put. I have no husband. <laughs> the sanitized version. It's Jesus. He knew the story. She didn't know that. You've had five husbands. Oh. Ah. Now we can start to see why she was going to the well at noon. And the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. That was considered inappropriate back then. Living with someone who you're not married to. Get that? Some of you are like, what's the big deal? No, anyway. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. No. I like this. She's getting a bit snippy now. A bit sassy. Yeah. So you're a prophet. Well then. I like this. Tell me this. <laughs> Smart Alec. Our ancestors worship God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem's the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman. I don't think he was angry, by the way. If I'm passionate, I'm not angry. Believe me, woman. 
the time's coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. Your worship, guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. In fact, it's come. When what you're called won't matter. And where you go to worship will not matter. You know, some churches arm wrestle with each other about who's right and who's wrong, and who's got all the truth and who's got less of the truth and whether you should, you know, baptize infants and whether you should wait till the age of understanding and only baptize then and whether you should have communion every week or whether you should have it not every week and whether you should wear t-shirts or whether you should wear collared shirts and the people with the collared shirts are closer to God than the people with t-shirts and, you know, and just it. Jesus is less important with the sign on the door. Less concerned with the sign on the door than he is with the sincerity of our hearts when we come to worship him. I grew up in the Catholic church and so did Louisa, Italian, comes with the turf. And uh, her her nonna, her 87-year-old grandmother, uh, as you probably guess if you know the Italians, she's grown up Catholic all her life and continues to go to her mass, the, the mass, the Catholics call it, every day, se- seven days a week, age 87, goes there every sing- single day. And you know the thing with the Catholic mass is it's the same every single time. It d- doesn't change. It's, it's exactly the same. So think about this. Let's say, <laughs> this is very hypothetical. It ain't, it's not going to happen. But let's just say, hypothetically, we opened the door for an hour every day of the week and we sung the exact same songs every single time in the exact same order. And then the platform leader gets up and gives the exact same announcements. And, uh, and, then, and then I get up and I preach the exact same message, the exact same way every single day, seven days a week. I, I'll close my eyes, but answer this. How many of you would think that's a good idea? I think, I think I'd just, I'd kill myself after day three I, I'm, as the preacher. <laughs> I'd kill you after day two, <laughs> Brett. <laughs> um, but Louis' grandmother, 87 years old, has been going seven days a week since she basically was old enough to leave the house in a little village back in Italy. Do you think God's pleased with her worship? I think he's flipping over the moon with her worship. It, it looks different to ours, but actually looks better than ours, I think. Because <laughs> we don't even come every Sunday. She's seven days a week. I'm not going to start hating on you, by the way. Just relax. <clears throat> it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father's out looking for those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. There is a significant uh, line in there that you have to get a grip on. Get this into your heart. The father is out looking for. The people, the father is out looking for. Some of you have been taught that you have to seek God, and we do. But, but understand that he first sought us. 
He took the first step towards us. He went to the well and got there and waited there before the woman arrived. He moved first. He went through Samaria, said he had to. He didn't have to. He chose to. But actually he had to because the salvation of this woman was the most important thing for Jesus at that point in history. God moved first. Easter next weekend is all about celebrating and communicating the idea that God's not waiting like this up in heaven, tapping his feet for us to come in and then give us all the excuses and pull out the laundry list of, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for this. I shouldn't have done that. I should. We have to get to that place asking for forgiveness, but it doesn't start at that place. It starts with him running to us, him coming to us, him moving first. That's the sort of God that we serve. The woman said, no, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. And when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. I'm going to land this message in a moment. Before I do, I want to actually highlight that particular line for some of you. If you've never actually understood this idea that God wants to have a relationship with you, if you've never actually been confronted with that good news, that truth that Jesus actually wants to have a relationship with you and that he comes first towards you, not to judge you, but to forgive you, to embrace you, to, to have a relationship with you. If you've never known that, if this is news to you this morning, then I'm glad you're here. And I want to give you right now an opportunity to actually respond to that great news, respond to the fact that God wants to have a relationship with you. So before I land this message in a moment, right now, I want you, if you've never made that decision to say, I'm going to seek you back. You've come to me. I'm going to turn and respond to you. I want to have that relationship with you, Jesus. I just want you to slip your hand up. Say, yeah, that's me this morning. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. Quickly pray and then I'll just land this message. So who of you need to make that decision this morning? This is the greatest news you'll ever hear, that God moved first and he wants to have a relationship with you. If you've never made that decision to come and turn to him and respond to that, just slip your hand up now and then we'll pray for you. Jesus is saying, I'm here. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. You've been focused on the bucket. It's not about the bucket. Jesus, living water. Just slip your hand up real quickly. Okay, let me land this. I'm preaching this message this morning very strategically, very intentionally, the week before Easter. Because that part of the story, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story that the woman has a revelation that Jesus is the hope of glory, that Jesus wants to have a relationship with her. That's not the end of the story. Earlier, Jesus had said to her, the water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. It's not an artesian spring that's meant to be locked up and hidden. The, the hope of glory, Christ in us, whew, Glad that's over. Glad I got him. No, it's about a, a, an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life, not just for us, but in fact, through us. Jesus, the hope of glory in us. Just then his disciples came back with the subway. They were shocked. 
They couldn't believe he was talking to that kind of woman. And no one said it. You know, they were all British. But no one said what they were thinking. Regan, Rob, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, rather horrified, Mark. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her bucket. She got it. It's no longer about the bucket. Awesome. But she didn't just leave satisfied that she'd got the great news. Back in the village, she told the people, come and see it. This is the village outcast. Going back looking for people who have been judging her and she's been avoiding. Huh? Oh, I don't like being uncomfortable. It's not about you. Come and see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? You know, the three guys in the Philippines, uh, Neil and, and Jess and Jordan, Jess and Jordan, reasonably newly married, year and change, spent their money to go and visit uh, uh, the works that uh, we're investing in in the Philippines. But while they're over there in the area, you pay all the way, you know, it, the airfare is the big ticket item. They thought they'd stay on a few days and just have a little kind of holiday together. And I'm like, that's a great idea. They, said, they, they came to me. Like, okay, they came to me. This is it. Okay. They came to me like this. Oh, Mark. After we visit the child sponsor develop, uh, survival program and, and the sponsor kids in the Philippines, um, we're going to stay on in Manila for a few days break. And then we're going to go, uh, I think, Hong Kong for a few days and I'm like, I, I don't get it. Like, what, what, like I'm, I'm thinking that's fantastic. And uh, it's here. So, um, so we won't be here for the Easter weekend. So, you know, okay, fair enough. So I reach for my selfie stick to start clubbing them. <laughs> Fits in my bag when you're down Periscope. Try, Jared, please, try and keep up. Um, and I said, look, guys, you, you, you know, and they're not, they're not a wealthy couple by any stretch. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, make the most of your time over there. Close. They said, yeah, but you know what? They weren't actually apologizing to me. This is when it all came out. They said, no, we are just really, really disappointed that we're going to miss this year the opportunity to bring our family and friends to Easter at Elevate. They get it. They get it's not about the bucket and they get that the well of living water within them is not just for their thirst, but for others. And so this outcast, this woman who'd been judged, five husbands, pretty good. I think even five husbands now, if you'd been through, you know, recycled your way through five husbands, like Liz Taylor, she was six, but one was, she married the same guy twice, so five it's like her, her wedding vows, uh, 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 um, she say to the husband, it's okay, I won't keep you long, uh, f- for her speech. They're like, is that the speech or is it? Anyway, um, that was borderline dad joke, right, Baden? Borderline. Um, it wasn't, qu- but yeah, too close for comfort. All right, sorry about that. Um, 
So this woman, the unlikely evangelist, the unlikely one that Jesus actually stopped for, this isn't the woman that religious people would think that the Messiah would stop for. It's not the woman that they, you'd expect to go and change the eternal destiny of her village, but she ran back to tell them this could be the Messiah. I think, <laughs> I think we've found him. And they went out to see for themselves. That's verse 30. I'm putting this out there for next week. Uh, who have you invited to, to, to Easter at Elevate? And um, that's the question. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I'm going to say next. I'm not going to say anything next. Who have you invited next weekend? Because there's a live, well of living water in you that's not actually just designed for you. And there's an opportunity next weekend it's easter and unchurched people are more likely to dip their toes in the door of a church on easter and christmas than any other time of the year and so it just makes sense that we'd be inviting not everyone's going to say yes but i say this pretty much every easter and christmas not everyone's going to say yes to your invitation but don't say their no for them okay and if they reject you put your big boy pants on it's not about you don't take it personally but what if they said yes? I'm going to pray right now and show you a video and then we'll wrap it up.